we're going to uh, continue our series on the resurrection and just learn more and more about that. Um, let's see here. There we go. And uh, we'll see if we can get up here today. Kim, I'm not sure. Uh, we've been having trouble with this thing. Um, we're looking today at uh, unbelief is not reasonable. Unbelief is not reasonable. I want to talk to you today particularly about how the, the kind of um, uh, efforts that have been mounted to discount the resurrection. And we want to, I want to give you some arsenal. I want to give you some materials in your mind uh, to not only bolster your faith, but also, you know, help you to uh, be bold if ever the, this issue comes up of somebody challenging you uh, about the, the authenticity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're not going to, there's not any main text we're going to look at today. There's some selected scriptures here. But I want to, uh, again, just focus upon this this theme of how unbelief is not reasonable at all, but, but rather is simply muddled thinking, that the thinking of people is all muddled when it comes to uh, the authenticity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, critics and skeptics of Christian faith often uh, elevate themselves. You've probably seen them on TV. I've encountered them before where they act superior because they believe that they use reason. They use reason and facts to prove the reality of life as they see it. And um, they, they use these shallow arguments and um, the, uh, the, the typical foolish approaches. It's, nothing's new that they come up with in an argument against God. Um, or against the Bible. There's no new questions. Uh, if you ever listen to Ken Ham at Down to Answers in Genesis, you'll find that to be true. That He said in the last 30 years, they've not come up with, no one's come up with a new question to stump them. You know, the Bible, the Bible can withstand all the scrutiny that man tries to use against it. Um, but you know, those shallow arguments, the typical foolish approaches about, you know, if God is real, or if God is this or that, you know, let him reveal himself, you know, or prove it, blah, blah, blah. You know, seeing is believing, just like, you know, just like those spiritual leaders did as they stared at Jesus on, on the cross here in, in, in the book of Matthew. You might have to turn it for me, Kim, looks like it's not working. Um, the... Um, here, here, here we have this section, you know, where, where, where Matthew records where Jesus is hanging on the cross. And it says, uh, Matthew says, And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, then come down from that cross. <laughs> Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with, with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others, him, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down then from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver, then let him deliver him now, if, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. <laughs> well, we know that if Jesus did come down from the cross, we were talking about this day in our Sunday school class with the boys, that uh, if he did come from that down from the cross, then, you know, we would not have any savior. We would not have any salvation, huh? And it wouldn't matter anyway they still wouldn't have believed him because we found out that even after the resurrection and the guards testified to them that they saw, you know, the tomb was empty and open, they still didn't believe. You know, we'll talk about that a little bit later here. Well, all of us understand that knowledge and the ability to reason, they're measurable. 
Knowledge and the ability to reason are measurable things. That's, that's why we have levels and grades of education because knowledge expands. It gets bigger, doesn't it? Uh, our reason, as it, it expands as, as, as we mature. I was just reminding Becky this week, I remember in first grade, the very first day of school, I cried because <laughs> I didn't know anything. And the kids around me seemed to know a lot more than I did. Teacher said, hey, take out your pencils. Remember those blue pencils you used to have? You used to buy them and chew the paint off of them. And, uh, you know, get paint in your mouth, you know, and all that. And, uh, but I remember the very first day, teacher said, okay, take out a piece of paper and write down all your numbers and letters. Everybody went to work except me. I thought that's why I came to school, to learn, you know. But uh, I was supposed to know this stuff already. I remember I started crying. And, uh, and uh, so that night I went home. My parents taught me my numbers and all that jazz. And, and uh, uh, the, uh, on my report card, the, the last, at the end of the year, I remember the teacher, she wrote a little note in there, said, it was a pleasure to watch you learn your numbers and your letters. Because <laughs> I was going to second grade. Now I had more knowledge, and uh, I never, I was able to know, I was able to uh, uh, handle second grade because I had handled first grade. And that's how knowledge is. It expands, it grows. Right? And we, we go on to third grade. We go on to fourth. And then we, we're, we graduate from high school. We go into college, vocational school, or what, you know, what, whatever, you know, apprenticeship, or whatever it is that we're doing. Our creator is, uh, the Bible says, though, the creator is the source of all knowledge. And uh, uh, he is not only omnipotent. You know, he's not only omnipotent. That's the next slide there. Uh, he's not only om- omnipotent, which means, of course, almighty. Um, but the Bible tells us too that he is uh, omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time. But he's also omniscient. He's omniscient, which means all-knowing. Isaiah 40, 28, the Bible says, Have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is what? unsearchable. <laughs> Matthew 10.30 But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And you know what? That's amazing because mine keep changing by the hour. They do. I, you know, I, they, they do. I, I know it. I know they do. And uh, I thought, wow. So Lord, you, you knew the number yesterday and you know it's different today. You know? Now Myron's has stayed the same for years. <laughs> right, Myron? Uh, Isaiah 55 9 says for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts God's knowledge he's, he's the source he's, it's so, he's so above us and he's only allowed us to have a, you know, a, a smidgen of knowledge uh, man in e- eternity we're just going to learn so much more all the time and we'll never exhaust his knowledge our knowledge, our reason, it goes astray when we miss or discard one key element. And this is why there's such problems with people in the Bible. There's one key element that people disregard that causes their knowledge and reason to go astray, and it's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the Bible says in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So when people disregard God, 
then they have to think on their own. And of course, their thinking patterns are, of course, governed according to their sinful nature and according to the ways of this world and, of course, the, of course, the evil one, the devil. And, uh, uh, you know, when, when smart people, quote-unquote smart people, when they have no regard for their creator, then their knowledge goes astray. It gets muddled. It's all muddled up and leads them to destruction. The Bible says, Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is what? The way of death. Yeah. So God is not unreasonable. No way. Not in the least. Uh, Sin and rebellion, that is unreasonable. They are unreasonable. And that is why God doesn't make sense to people who are in, who are sinners, who who are rebellious against Him. Their minds are misshaped. It's misshaped by sin. And that's why the cross of Jesus and the empty tomb, they, they just don't make any reasonable sense to unbelievers, to skeptics and the critics. In a sense, our Lord is willing. Uh, there's a scripture that kind of indicates, it does indicate that God is like kind of willing. I'm willing to sit down with you. I'm willing to sit down with anyone with, with an honest, humble soul. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, and this is what he says. He says, come now, And let us reason together, says the Lord. Come now, let us reason together. The Lord wants to talk to us. He wants to reason with us. He's reasonable. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they are as wool. Hmm. You know, I'm sure that all of us have heard of that phrase, that doesn't hold water. You know that phrase, that doesn't hold water. When someone's argument or their excuse or their defense doesn't seem trustworthy or doesn't seem correct, when you tell somebody what they are saying, you're saying, you know, that doesn't hold water. You're telling them basically what you're saying is not verifiable. It doesn't have any, it it can't withstand scrutiny. It doesn't seem logical. It doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable. It, It can't hold together under critical examination. For instance, if you're, you know, I'm sure you've heard this, if a child tells his teacher that his dog ate his homework, well, the teacher can say, you know what, your excuse doesn't hold water. It's not verifiable and it doesn't make sense, you know. Um, although I'm sure some dogs do enjoy paper. I, I don't know, but, that, but usually that's just an excuse. Um, the, the idiom is, in, is, is, is interesting. It's been around since the 1600s, and um, it's the image of a bucket, a, a, a leaky bucket that won't hold water. <laughs> So a bucket, it's intended to hold contents, but if your bucket has a lot of holes in it, then the, it leaks out. And so, um, it, and uh, the, those who are word, uh, uh, word enthusiasts, they, they think it goes back all the way to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, when God says this. He says, Two evils my people have done. They have forsaken me, the source of living waters, and secondly, they have dug themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. <laughs> so it's meant to create a metaphor uh, comparing people's faith trickling away like water through a broken cistern. So, so to say something doesn't hold water means that you're questioning its logic, its reasoning, claiming it wouldn't hold up under scrutiny. And that is what critics say about Jesus' resurrection from the very beginning. It doesn't hold water. They started that right from the very, very, the very beginning. We, we looked last week, we looked last week pretty extensively as to why the nation of Israel in Jesus' day 
as well as the present nation of Israel, why they still reject Jesus as the Messiah. We, we looked at that. Well, Matthew 28 informs us that from the very first Lord's Day, from the very first Lord's Day, the day he, re- he, he rose from the dead, from the very first day when Jesus rose from the dead, the Roman guards that had been assigned to watch the tomb of Jesus, they freaked out and they fainted when they saw the angel descend from heaven and roll the stone away. And apparently they woke up because they took off running. <laughs> these Roman guards, these tough guys, they took off running and they ran all the way into, into Jerusalem to the, you know, the, to the, uh, to the, uh, where the priests were, the, the chief priests were, the spiritual leaders were, and they told them what had happened. The spiritual leaders, they devised a plan, Matthew tells us, and they bribed the soldiers to lie and say that the disciples had come in, night, come in the night while the guards were asleep and stolen the body of Jesus. And of course, sleeping on duty was, a, was, a, a, um, was an offense that uh, ended in death. But they, uh, that was the lie they concocted. Well, it says this. It says... Um, in Matthew here, it says, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you guys out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Hmm. So since that day, again, uh, since that day, um, critics, there's a lot of critical theories have been concocted to discredit historical resurrection evidence of Jesus Christ and accuse the followers of Jesus that their faith is phony. Basically they're saying, you know, the resurrection doesn't hold water. Yeah. Doesn't hold water. That's what they say. Let's just look at a few of the, of the, of the theories that they say. And again, we won't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I, I want to spend uh, a more time on the, uh, I mean, I want to really em- em- emphasize the very last theory that is the issue for us today that we're going to come up against. Most secular historians, uh, you may not realize this, but most secular historians, they do concede that Jesus actually did live, that he was, that he did live. He was a public figure with trained disciples. They concede that Jesus was publicly put to death on a Roman cross. They also concede that his followers proclaimed Jesus was raised to life and living a new and transformed way. But some of them also concede that the disciples even had experiences of seeing Jesus afterwards. Christians believe that Jesus' actual resurrection is the best explanation of these sightings. But the skeptics, however, they offer other solutions that don't really end with Jesus rising from the dead. They, they say, yeah, he was killed, but he didn't rise from the dead. Some say, for example, that Jesus actually did die and or the disciples visited the wrong tomb. I know you're going to think, this is corny. Well, this, is, this, this comes up from, this is, these, th- these theories are from, quote-unquote, brilliant people whose thinking is muddled. It's muddled. It's shaped by sin. And so it, that's why it sounds so corny to us. Some say Jesus, for, for example, swooned on the cross. He just passed out. He passed out on the cross and was actually alive. And then they, when they put him in the, in the damp, cool tomb, he woke up. And somehow he pushed the stone over and he was able to get out. And, uh, and um, you know, he escaped from the tomb. Um, 
you know, it's, they, uh, they just think he, you know, it, mo a lot of skeptics today say, you know, that, that does sound kind of corny. I don't know if that really holds up, that, that, uh, that he could really get out of the tomb after being on the cross like that. So, but people used to believe that. They used to believe that, at least you know, the skeptics did. That, uh, and, and, and besides, if he did escape from the tomb, he, was, he looked pretty, he was a mess. Who would ever think that was a resurrection, right? Anyway, that's a corny, corny theory that uh, kind of has gone by the wayside. But the apostle, uh, plus, you know, the apostle Paul, he was an enemy to Christians. He actually met the resurrected Jesus. And so, um, you know, two years later after Jesus' death, and so, and, and Paul was, something happened to him. He said he met this resurrected Christ and something changed in him. He was an enemy to Christ, enemy to Christians, and all of a sudden he became a Christian and he became this energetic follower of Jesus Christ. So something changed in him. And he talked about seeing the resurrected Jesus. Let me tell you, the, the smart man like Paul would never have fallen for a pig in the poke. I'm into idioms today. You know, you know what a pig in the poke is. A pig in the poke, it goes all the way back to where, where um, you used to have something in a bag and you wanted to give it, you wanted to sell it to somebody. And they'd say, well, let's see what's in the bag. And they'd say, you know, you, know, you, say, it's, you, know, you say it's this and that, but it, is, it, is it really? Is it really a, a pig, you know? And uh, yeah, it's a pig. It, it, it might not be. It might just be rocks. And anyway, uh, so a, a, a pig in a poke, you know, was, was meant buying or accepting something without first, in, first inspecting it, knowing its true value. And Paul would never have committed his life to Jesus Christ if he thought it was a fake res resurrection message. No way. There's another ridiculous theory that, that the women, ladies, this is, uh, this is just an insult to your intelligence here, but that the women went to the tomb that early Sunday morning and actually went to the wrong one. <laughs> they went to the wrong one. And they met a gardener there, and recognizing their confusion, he told these women that, well, Jesus isn't here. And uh, the women then mistook the man to be an angel, declaring Jesus had risen and that he was no longer in the grave, but had been taken up to heaven. <laughs> and the lack of a body there confirmed that, you know, he's not here. And, uh, you know, the, and they just misunderstood that Jesus must have been re resurrected. Uh, I'm not kidding, folks. You can't make this stuff up. This is, this, these are actual uh, arguments against the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, it's just seem, it just sounds so ridiculous, doesn't it? That, and that's the way muddled thinking is. That's the way rebellious thinking against God is. When you don't fear the Lord, you come up with all these strange thoughts. Uh, I'm, I'm not kidding you. Uh, it's like the skeptics today, and, and you, you know, this, this, I tell you, this theory about how the world was created is really gaining steam. It is gaining steam right now in that, that um, scholars are proposing that aliens came and planted spores on the earth. And that's how we got life. And so it's easier to believe that than it is to believe that there was an almighty creator who created a man and a woman named Adam and Eve. It's easier to believe that aliens came. Yeah, muddled thinking. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? The, the wrong tomb theory is just, uh, has now become an embarrassment to skeptics. So ladies, you're, you, know, you, you have been redeemed 
because, uh, and this, this, this is the reason, because archaeologists have, and historians, they understand Jewish burial practices much better uh, in the time of Jesus. They un- un- understand it better. Each tomb, each tomb uh, there in the garden, uh, well, this was just the practice of, uh, of, the, of, uh, of Israel, you know, where they buried their dead. Each tomb and each niche because what they do, they'd buy, they sometimes would buy, a, there'd be a side of a mountain and they wouldn't dig out a whole tomb, but there'd just be niches that carved into the rock, you know, little, little niches. But each one of the tombs, each, each niche, they were, uh, they were uh, carefully um, marked. They were marked about who was in there. Uh, where the corpse, what corpse was, was in this niche or was in, in the tomb in anticipation of something. They had to know, they had to know what, what was, uh, who was in that, that tomb because um, in one year they would reopen the tomb and they would take the bones of the corpse and put them in a box. It was a stone box called an ossuary. And I think I have a picture of one up there for you. And they would put the bones of, of the corpse of that family member in the ossuary which contained other bones of other family members because tombs are expensive. Tombs are hard to come by. And so a family tomb or a family niche would be used over and over and over again. And they would just... In, in the Old Testament, there was a phrase called... Uh, he was... Uh, like Jacob was gathered to his people. And that little phrase, gathered to his people, meant that we put, we'll put his bones in with all the other bones of the family members. So don't worry, when you're resurrected, you know, Jesus will, he'll, he'll get everybody straightened out, even though their bones are all stacked in there together, you know. But, but uh, it was very, you know, that's, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, hodgepodge or it wasn't, you know, w- willy-nilly. They knew, they knew who was in uh, a particular niche or, or was, in a, was in a tomb. Um, then there was this hallucination theory. And uh, this is... Uh, this is the last one we'll look at before we look at the one that's really a big deal today. But the hallucination theory, of course, is where Peter and Paul and the women at the tomb and the Emmaus disciples and the ten disciples, Thomas, the 500 witnesses, that they merely had these visions of Jesus or simply imagined seeing him and, and that idea spread like wildfire that he had risen from the dead. There was a man by the name of uh, Celsus in the second century. He was either a Greek or Roman uh, philosopher. They really don't, they can't get that nailed down. But um, he, uh, he and other critics uh, uh, during the second century just totally uh, de, uh, just, uh, uh, devalued, I should say, um, the whole thought of Christianity, the cross, and a resurrected Christ. Um, so you see, loved ones, this discrediting the resurrection of Jesus has been around from the very beginning. It's nothing new that we're facing today. You know, you can concede that Peter, yeah, okay, he was a close friend to Jesus. Okay, he, he, he was so grief-stricken that he had a hallucination that, uh, you know, that Jesus came back to life. Okay, you can, you, you, can, you can try to think that if you want. But again, you think, but again, what about the Apostle Paul, who was an enemy? <laughs> he said he saw him too. So anyway, there's all kinds of other theories that endeavor to propose reasonable ways to deny that Jesus rose from the dead. But let's, let's look at the one main popular one now. Okay, let's look at that.
And it is a, uh, it's called mythicism. Mythicism. That's the big thing today. The proponents of mythicism claim that, for instance, the city of Nazareth didn't even exist until Christians invented it along with the Jesus myth himself. Itself, I should say. No archaeologist agrees with this at all. Archaeologists know that the city of Nazareth exists, that it existed during Jesus' day, because there's evidence of it. Evidence of it there. True scientists, Jewish, Christian, secular scientists, they're kind of scratching their heads these days with some of these claims by these woke scholars. Wokeism has spread through everything, even into reasonable science. It's spread everywhere. There's, uh, again, um, these, uh, what, what woke uh, mythicism is, is, again, it's just, it's false philosophies. Well, we should look at wokeism. Wokeism is simply anything, any false philosophy that simply denies the reality of the evidence. Loved ones, we see that happening everywhere, don't, don't we? We can no longer define even what a woman is, what a man is, what marriage is, even though the science is very clear and it leaves those who are honest scientists, even if they're not Christian, they're, they're still honest about like, what? <laughs> it's denying the evidence that is right there in front of you. And that is what is happening today, is this philosophy of basically, we got to get God out of the society and logic doesn't work, reason doesn't work, so we'll use unreasonable methods and basically just denying reality. Hope you're understanding what I'm, what I'm trying to say. They can't remove God logically, so they're attempting to simply break the rules of logic and science. And again, even honest biologists have blank stares as these new woke Woke, philosoph- uh, woke philosophy sweep our universities, sweep our schools, denying that we even know, like, like I said, what, what a man or woman or is or what marriage is. True historians, uh, Christian and non-Christian, they know there's plenty of evidence, reliable evidence, that reveals there was a man named Jesus from a Galilean village called Nazareth. And he was a public figure. He had a confrontation with Roman authorities in Jerusalem, and he was killed on a Roman cross. And not only were there four biographies written about him and circulated within the, just a couple gen- generations of his time, but we have letters of Paul, who was a contemporary, and he knew some of the original followers of Jesus. He knew Jesus' brother James. Paul knew Peter and John. And just no sensible scholar doubts the authenticity of Paul. Main, mainstream scholars accept the historical evidence that Jesus existed. And so should we. But let me tell you where this is coming from. It's even coming out of our Christian institutions, um, our colleges. Many Christian scholars, for example, now teach this. Uh, you're going to think it's crazy, but they now teach that Genesis 1 to 3 particularly is not history. It's not history. Um, it is simply what they call poetic Uh, um, let me put it this way mythical poetry is what it is mythical poetry you know we get all of our foundational doctrines out of the first 11 chapters of Genesis every foundational doctrine we have is is found in Genesis 1 to 11 
And Genesis 1 to 3 is, de- is denied by modern, modern Christian scholars, quote unquote, as being historical, historically authentic. Hmm. That's where it's coming from. This, again, it, uh, it even, um, uh, like I said, it's, it's how soon will it be before in our colleges uh, this false principle carries over into the New Testament as well, teaching that Jesus was not, in fact, a person, actual person in history. I think I mentioned this too, to you. I think things are changing at one of our schools just north of us here. Um, but uh, um, at one time, there was a professor there that taught that the burning bush was a myth in the book of Exodus. Well, let me close. This is the big fight of our times right now. This is the big fight. Persons with an anti-God agenda just blatantly denying the truth that is verified by reality. So, in the end, it's uh, not the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that has validity issues. (laughs) It's actually the skeptics and the critics, these woke people whose arguments and theories are just, uh, they're full of holes and they can't hold water. Really. They can't hold water. And the evidence for us is plain and strong, loved ones, that our faith is not built on shady, shaky evidence, but grounded on the solid, reasonable proof in the Word of God that Jesus Christ died and He rose from the dead and is truly the Lord of lords and King of kings. Amen. Amen? Amen. Yeah. The evidence is there. And when we think and we believe it, our thinking is straightened out. Being muddled goes away. And give, you give God room then to work in your life. And He will. Father, as we, uh, as we think today about where we're at in, uh, Lord, in our society, as we think about our neighbors, as we think about our children, our grandchildren, the influences that they're uh, surrounded with, that college, at school, Lord, uh, uh, through the media. Father, we, we know that the world um, is anti-God and will grasp onto anything that's, that's unreasonable even and, and try to, and try to um, uh, subvert the Word of God, the truth of God in our lives. By the way, I pray you will help us to, to really uh, become uh, serious apologists when it comes to the Word of God, that we, that we uh, Lord, uh, hold firm to it, and that we will study it, that we will examine it, Lord, that we will allow it to uh, work its work, work its strength in our lives and in our minds, Lord, that we will uh, fear you, reverence you, because then, Lord, your Spirit will open up our minds, our hearts, and will enlighten us. You will illuminate us. Father, we know there's no new re- revelation to be given. Your word is the, is the finality on that. But Lord, our minds are dark at times and we need our minds to be illuminated with your word. We need them to, our minds to be brightened up to, to, uh, to be able to see the truth in comparison, the Lord, to what's going on all around us. So Lord, we, we pray that we'll... That, um, that, Lord, as, as the world challenges us, as scholars challenge us, as the scholars challenge our kids and our grandkids, that we will not be duped, that we will not be ignorant 
of, of the truth of God's word and the reliability of it, but that we'll be able to stand firm and we'll be able to give a, a reason, Lord, for the hope that is within us, that we will, that we will be able to be bold in a loving way and certain of our faith. That we, Lord, we realize that it's true that Jesus said that we would trust Him and practice His, His truth, that our lives will be built on a rock. We'll be solid. That the, the winds may blow, the storm may come, but we are still grounded on the rock of Your truth. While others, building on these false philosophies, fall flat. Lord, Make us to be brighter lights, uh, clear examples of, uh, of yours, of, of your disciples in a world that is just more and more collapsing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.